The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. In our headlines this hour, the Dow posts its best day in a month as Wall Street recovers from Monday's sharp sell-off and stocks across, a across Asia rise after President Trump downplays the trade war with China. We're having a little squabble with China because we've been treated very unfairly for many, many decades. Tech shares help lead the rebound with Apple rising more than 1.5% as investors wait for earnings from Chinese giants Alibaba and Tencent. Uh, China posting a weaker than expected rise in April industrial output. Retail sales growth also underwhelming, dropping to a 16-year low. Shares in Commerce Bank closed sharply higher following a report that Italy's Unicredit is stepping up plans to bid for the German lender just weeks after talks with Deutsche Bank fell apart. Very good morning, everybody. As we uh, continue to monitor the corporate earnings results, let's check in on the French bank uh, Credit Agricole delivering us uh, first quarter number. Revenues down 1.1% to 4.86 billion euros. The analysts were looking for 4.92 billion. So that is clearly a miss on the headline revenue number. The net profit down 11% to 763 million euros. The analysts were looking for 789 million euros. So again, that is a miss on the net line common equity uh, tier one ratio stable at 11.5 percent uh, the silver lining in the cloud there the uh, bank says corporate and investment banking arm profit in the first quarter a positive 5.2 percent we know that this area in particular has been a, a challenge with the volatility that we've seen in the markets the bank basically saying this indicates a good performance in all business lines. But of course, the market will be looking closely at why those numbers on revenue and net were just off the run rate. A quick look at RVA as well. 20% um, higher year to date. So, you know, German utility looking good on the stock market performance, despite the fact that there are a lot of questions about both this one and E.ON, which is already reported this week, and how they're going to bed down after their asset swaps with energy as well. Well, let's take a look at the numbers. A good beat, actually, on the adjusted EBITDA. Quite a wide measure, old adjusted EBITDA, though, isn't it? <laughs> like profits before everything. Uh, first quarter figure, 510 million euros versus 302 million expected in the poll uh, by Reuters, boosted by outstanding trading performance. When was the last time we saw a German company saying outstanding? trading performance. Certainly not comments Bank or Deutsche, that's for sure. Uh, first quarter adjusted net income more than triples. Uh, so far, so good. What else do they want to say? Confirm they want to pay a divvy of 0.9 euros per share for 2019. Uh, you may be interested to know, the, and I had a look beforehand, the dividend yield on this one is 3.08%. Uh, net debt, 
Um, that's moving the wrong direction. But I mean, of course, a lot of corporate restructuring been going on. 4.7 billion euros at the end of March versus 2.3 billion at the end of December. You've been looking at this company as well. Anything you want to add? No, it just uh, the underlying, um, I think, is interesting here. Look, we, we've seen an improvement in the share price performance for RWE and most of the major utilities in Europe here. And I think that the, uh, the investment community has taken the view that the worst is behind this sector and actually they're benefiting from stabilisation in wholesale underlying electricity prices. And the one thing I've really noticed in the markets recently, and I, Juliana, I'd welcome your contribution on this as well, <clears throat> is that the market is actually willing to give companies the benefit of the doubt when they see corporate action. So whether it's good corporate action or bad corporate action and ultimately doesn't produce the intended return, in the interim, quite often, uh, investors are quite willing at this moment to say, well, here's a management team who are active, who are recognising that there's underperformance in some sectors, they're shedding non-core, and they're actually restructuring the business to make it a little bit leaner. Because as we've gone through this peak period of margin and profitability, the expectation is that we're going to roll over and see that lower. But if you get a bit of activism, you get a management team that's on the ball, it does indicate that they are finding ways of taking out costs and trying to maintain those margin and profits. It's a good point you make about the importance of management teams at this point in the cycle. As we are looking toward a world of slower growth and, uh, and tighter margins, the management teams become all the more important. And with the rise in activism, I think a lot of investors have looked to see the success uh, that investors can have in taking a role in sparking or spurring uh, a corporate change. So uh, it's, it's a good point. Are these, are these the same um, market participants who, uh, who boosted share price throughout the 80s and 90s on the build of the conglomerate? The same analysts and investors who boosted companies on the back of spurious profit models in the late 90s, uh, saying that they were going to have some online revolution going on. The same analysts uh, who, when the 3G, 4G, 5G came along as well, we were told this was going to be a, a bonanza for the telecoms companies. Just want to make sure it's the same people or is it a new generation? I think it's probably a new generation by now, isn't it? I mean, they're, they're, and this is this is you put your finger on, I think, one of those um, known unknowns for market evolution going forward, and and it is that issue actually of does this generation of people operating in markets actually recognise what an end of cycle looks like and how? They should analyse the actions that companies take as we come to the end of a cycle, given that the central banks have tried to prevent us having a, uh, an end of cycle since the last financial crisis, and um, that's a decade. There's questions we'll be asking the RVA CFO, Marcus Kreber. Tune in to that interview, 11.15 Central European Time. That's a first on interview. Um, Lafarge. Yes, uh, another company out today with results. Lafarge Wholesome, another company that is undergoing some big strategic change. Uh, they are in the process of streamlining their activities. They've recently sold several businesses uh, in their non-core markets, focusing on their core. Now, today's results have come in on the strong side. Uh, strong Europe has helped Lafarge Wholesome to beat uh, Q1 earnings. Uh, let me give you some of the detail there. Q1 net sales came in at 5.95 million Swiss franc. 
that is uh, up from 5.83 uh, in Q1 of last year. They have reaffirmed their 2019 targets, so some uh, positive news there on the outlook. In terms of recurring EBITDA, the key number for the uh, investment community, that came in at 809 million Swiss francs compared to 700 million in the same period last year. They grew like for like net sales by 6.4% year on year, while recurring rev recurring EBITDA grew over proportionally by 20.6%. So overall, it looks like a strong set of results for Lafarge. They did see a softer but stabilizing cement demand in Latin America. Uh, that's what they anticipate anyway for the 2019. Uh, in, in contrast, uh, they are looking optimistic when it comes to North America. They see continued market growth in North America. And just coming back to where they stand strategically, Lafarge is making a big effort now to focus on Europe, focus on North America, where they see the better growth opportunities I and shift you. away from some of those. I hear you. And, and if you tell me there's strong numbers on the uh, recurring EBIT on that, then, then great. I have just, I look at two numbers in these numbers, though. One, they say sales increased. Uh, to two, up 2.2% in the first quarter, yeah? And then they tell me they've got up to a 5% target for sales for the year. That's pretty dynamic from Q2, Q3 and Q4, though, isn't it? And I, I'm sure there's something about the first quarter which is slower for the cement business because I guess you don't build so much over the winter. I'm sure there's some great explanation there. But if you're coming in at 2.2%, you're telling me that you can grow up to 5%. Now, I say you. I mean, Jan Yenish, who is the CEO. Then I have... Um, I, I hope they're right, because then it's a barometer of the global economy, but it seems a stretch. Well, I think seasonality is probably important here. Granted, this is Q1. There will be weather uh, impacts uh, around a slower start to the year. But the encouraging part, uh, perhaps, is that they do see strong growth in North America. Uh, and this is where they're focusing their efforts. So they've just gotten rid of their Indonesia, Philippines, uh, Malaysia, and Singapore operations. And if they think a lot of the growth is going to come from North America, Europe has been the strong point this quarter. Perhaps that's a fair bet. Uh, very quickly on uh, ABN Amro, let's just tick the box on these. Uh, net profit in at 478 million for the first quarter of 2019. The market was looking for uh, 499.6 million on the uh, on the profit line here. So that just looks a little light on what was expected. The group um, caveats that by saying net interest income was impacted by temporarily elevated liquidity management costs. Uh, the uh, Sting in the tail, I would say, is the fact that the costs seem to have gone up sharply here. So the cost income ratio in at 63.8% vs 57.9% a year ago. It's heading in the wrong direction as far as investors will be concerned. Um, operating income for the quarter, just over 2 billion euros. The market was looking for uh, uh, 2.14 billion. Uh, let's see if there's anything else in here that's interesting. The uh, CT1 ratio, uh, an improvement at 18% v 17.5% a year ago. The group says uh, private banking saw its AUM grow by 15.6 billion in the first quarter due to an acquisition, market performance and inflow of net new assets. So a little bit of a mixed bag here, but I don't think the market will be that happy with the headline miss on the profit line. All right, fabulous. Let's get back to the, the big story, moving markets. The US and China have moved to downplay trade tensions. Mr. Trump stressed that talks have not broken down. 
Okay, uh, describing the tariff escalation as, quote, a little squabble. Uh, China's foreign ministry confirmed bilateral discussions will continue whilst the Chinese President Xi Jinping used his opening address at the Asian Civilizations Conference in Beijing to call for all countries to keep their doors open in support of economic growth. While speaking on his way to an energy event in Louisiana, Mr. Trump maintained the U.S. had the upper hand in the conflict. Where having a little squabble with China because we've been treated very unfairly for many, many decades. We are, uh, again, in a very, very strong position. They want to make a deal. It could absolutely happen. But uh, in the meantime, a lot of money is being made by the United States and a lot of strength is being shown. This has never happened to China before. Absolutely a plethora of enormous questions for the market at the moment, which I think is very blind as to which way we go. We've got some very, um, very different scenarios playing out as well. So I thought I'd give you a nice quote this morning. And I thought Jeff would like the Carl Sagan quote because he's a bit of an astronomer on the choir, but he didn't really read much of Carl Sagan, apparently. But in the demon haunted world, science is a candle in the dark. How about this for a, an elongation of the, the stupid question quote? There are naive questions. There are tedious questions, ill phrased questions. Questions put after inadequate self-criticism, but every question is a cry to understand the world. There is no such thing as a dumb question. Goodness knows I've challenged that over the last 19 years at this show. But let's just ask a few questions about the market and about the market rally. Why did we get it? Did we get it because of the reassuring words uh, from Mr. Trump? Did we get it because there is a valuation argument after the sell-off that we've seen since May the 3rd? But my goodness me, what a sell-off it has been. And what a purchase yesterday for some sectors which saw some really strong buying, including, dare I say, uh, products that it's hard to justify in valuation grounds more or less, i.e. such as Bitcoin. Big momentum going on in a lot of these stocks as well. Uh, we have got the US markets, which rallied roughly eight tenths of 1%, the Nasdaq outperforming as it did on the downside. Technology, let's have a look at that because it was an outperforming sector. NVIDIA I talked about in the previous session, this time up 2.3%. But um, stocks like Apple, brilliant research going on. The Apple, I was pouring through some JP Morgan copy on Apple yesterday, talking about the ability to pass on increased costs if you get increased tariffs as well. Really, really tricky for Apple to do that. Could that compress margins? I think the answer has to be yes. Uh, whatever side of the ledger you feel about Apple's performance, so 188, they were roughly, I believe, before yesterday's move in correction territory, stroke bear market territory from their highs. I think it was bear, actually. Uh, let's have a look at the uh, the next board for you. I've got the banks as well. Wells Fargo, this is another one that's had a lot of downward pressure from its uh, biggest levels, its highest to the upside. JP Morgan uh, and Bank of America, 0.8 and 1.3% up respectively as well. Let's take a look at the oil markets. Again, such big two-way pulls on oil. If you think there's a global trade war going on, you, you probably want to sell the product. If you think there's global conflict coming, uh, emanating from the Middle East, you probably buy the product as well. So 61 bucks and 71 bucks roughly uh, where the Asian markets are trading, uh, the bug bug, the oil markets. Asian markets look like this as well, I should say. And massive questions. Again, we're talking about tedious questions, naive questions, reiteration of questions. Why? And this was what Jill, she likes to shout out. Jill, our lead producer on the show, was asking about the Asian, are they rallying? Because because they think there's going to be more stimulus. They're rallying because they think it's a valuation. Rallying because trade talks are being soothed as well. We just don't know, do we? And this is it. And Jeff asked the question, do the people think that the Chinese have the firepower to offer
offset these declines as well at the moment. So the real questions, but the retail sales, my question this morning, retail sales, not very good figures, worse, as I said for my headline, for 16 years. And yet, and yet, isn't that part of the pivot? Aren't we moving away from export-oriented towards the consumer in China, and yet you still got the worst figure in 16 years? Unanswered questions. Let's have a look at the opening calls for European markets. Uh, we are called mildly higher across the board. So not a Carl Sagan fan. Uh, tour de force. Um, I did like Contact, though. Do you remember Contact? No. Jodie Foster? Yes. 1997? Uh, yes. Was that his? Uh, it was based on his novel from 1985, yeah. Uh, I did like that, but he wasn't my favourite uh, astronomer. Funny old Jodie Foster, isn't it? Like, Maybe it's bad films, but she never makes a bad film herself, does she? No. <laughs> Great actress and director of that. Absolutely. Uh, moving on. Uh, President Trump has said the US will win the trade war if the Fed cuts rates. The president tweeted, China will continue its easy monetary policy and that if the Fed uh, does the same, quote, it would be game over. We win. Let's get to uh, David uh, Newhauser, who is Managing Director at Livermore Partners. I, I have lots of questions. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, very open question. How would you like an easy start? What do we do next? Um, I think right now you wait and see. Right. Uh, so I think you're seeing the market move a lot by headlines. Like uh, you, you just mentioned that you're seeing uh, every day you're seeing sound bites and that's moving the market up or down several mm -hmm. hundred points. So I think right now it's a, it's a market that's uh, going to be subjected to a lot of uh, you know, headline risk right now. Um, I, I think off the top of my head, it's 44 days now to the 28th of June. That is the only time when it's been talked about there possibly will be a meeting between Xi and Trump. And it's all very well we get the reassuring noises about, oh, talks are continuing. But there's nothing concrete we're seeing between the people that matter. Lighthizer, uh, Leah Hur, um, Mr Mnuchin as well. So market will continue to be worried until we get something firm on the agenda, won't it? No, uh, I think that's correct. I mean, I think at the end of the day, at least uh, from our side, uh, I would say uh, President Trump. I mean, obviously, he will be the ultimate uh, uh, one that will determine if the, you know, things are acceptable to the U.S. I think on the Chinese side, they don't they can't really negotiate. I mean, they can negotiate, but they're they're not decision makers. It's really up to Xi. Mm. So they could sit there and come to the U.S. and have all this dialogue over and over and say, we're so close. We're so close. Once they go back to China, it's up to it's up to him. Yeah, I don't think they have to go back to China to get his approval, though, do they? I mean, presumably he goes and says, these are your red lines, um, and um, if you have any changes, give me a call. I mean, it, it, these things can move quite quickly. They can move quickly. I think nobody really wants to show that they're in a, in a, weak, uh, in a weak position, so everyone wants to win on this deal. And I think regardless of the, wheel, the deal they actually execute, I still think longer term there's still, like, tremendous problems. Yeah. David, the, um, the tweet uh, presupposes that um, lower interest rates from here are a good story for markets and investors more broadly. But as I read your analysis, you're actually a little concerned that investors might be pursuing the, the Tina uh, line and getting sucked into an asset bubble that actually isn't appropriate at this point. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it's... Uh it's a fallback for uh, for Trump, right? You put all you essentially put a lot of pressure on the Fed to say, well, you know, everything would be great if you kind of listen, if you cut rates, if you know we're uh, competing with China in that regard, then we'd win the trade war. First of all, you know, the, the U.S. economy today is actually doing fairly well. Uh, we've had strong growth, tight unemployment. Uh, the Fed has raised rates several times over the past few years. The question is, where do, where do we go from here? So there's been a lot of stimulus, as you know, the last few years. And 
seeing where we are today with the potential for a trade war that guys could dig in, it's like, where do we go from here? And I think he's just trying to hedge his bets. Coming back to the market, I mean, you made the comment that over the last several days we've seen big moves on the back of headlines, which to me suggests that uh, a lot of the moves are just macro-driven, which should create opportunities for stock pickers, I would think. If you look at that, you see the dislocation. It should create an opportunity for people who are doing bottom-up work. Eventually, uh, they should be able to, to make good on those bets. Yeah, no, we, I think that's how we've outperformed this year and last year is that it's a stock pickers market. So as you're seeing the headline risk and you're seeing volatility increase, uh, you know, we're looking for value based sort of opportunistic opportunities to invest in. And at the same time, we're looking to hedge our bets by looking at some of these companies that had, you know, maybe massive momentum or are highly valued. And those are the, the cases in which we're looking actually to hedge and, and potentially short. So just on the pricing side, um, we've been having a, in fact, we talked about this again this morning because uh, Mr. Wolf has written a piece arguing whether oh, we yeah. have inflation or deflation coming down the track yeah, here. How does the cycle end? You yeah. make a very interesting point in your notes about how you feel pricing pressures are going to emerge and that will have an impact on consumption and demand. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing some of that today. I mean, the consumer in the U.S. at least is actually in a pretty strong position. We've had, uh, obviously, uh, uh, low interest rates for a long time, and they're kind of getting used to that. Uh, we've had a low unemployment. People are feeling good. Uh, at the same time, you know, that's uh, all, the, all the issues you're seeing today on the margin side with some of these companies, they're able to pass and increase prices. So to me, they're, they're passing it through the consumers uh, taking it. But at the same time, um, you know, that's going to lead to levels of inflation over time. And, and I think that'll, uh, you know, that'll start to see you know, put the potential for some downdraft. Thus, you've got 10% of your portfolio in gold at the moment, which we'll, yeah, we'll come actually, back and we'll talk about yeah. that in just a second. Let's, ju let's just to tantalize our audience <laughs> who loves a bit of gold. Yeah, they get very angry when you say anything bad about gold, don't they? Some of them do, don't but they? But they, they, they call them bugs. I think they're just nutters. Um, just bug nuts. Anyway, um, there we go. Uh, the Bond King, Jeffrey Kunlak, has warned there's a 50% chance of a US recession within a year driven by a, quote, cocktail of economic risk. Head to CNBC.com for more. Did I just upset the gold community? Yeah, <laughs> probably just a touch. <laughs> we'll have to wait and see for that feedback. Well, meanwhile, President Trump is reportedly preparing to sign an executive order which would pave the way to ban Huawei in the U.S. According to Reuters, the order will ban U.S. firms from using equipment made by telecommunications companies that pose a national security risk. Now, no specific groups or countries will be named, but the move is seen as a step toward banning companies from doing business with China's Huawei. The White House and Commerce Department both declined to comment on the report. Uh, we are going to take you to Beijing very shortly. Uh, it says here on my altar queue, wake up and smell the coffee. That's because we're talking about the listing of Starbucks rival Lucky. We'll have that story in just a moment. And if you just can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune in to our very own podcast. Head to CNBC.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to have a listen and download today's episode. And for our podcast listeners, stick around for more. Chinese industrial output growth slowed more than expected between January and April amid ongoing U.S. trade tensions. Other key data points also missed the mark, most notably retail sales, which fell to a 16-year low. 
A Chinese coffee startup Lookin is uh, due to list on Friday, hoping to raise more than $500 million to boost further expansion and take on its rival Starbucks. The company is planning to list on the Nasdaq for between $15 and $17 per share, giving it a valuation as high as $4 billion. Uh, Eunice now joins us with more from Beijing. And the remarkable thing about this story, Eunice, is just how the Chinese have embraced coffee over the last decade. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at uh, Starbucks's numbers, for example, here, you can really see how popular coffee has become. Uh, with Luckin, this is an 18-month-old company, and they currently have 2,400 stores thereabouts. And they're hoping that with this money, at least in part, they're going to be able to expand to 4,500 stores by the end of this year. Now, how do they plan to do that? Uh, the company believes that compared to Starbucks, they really know the young Chinese consumer. So uh, they're hoping to invest in stores like the one I'm in now. This is called a pickup store as opposed to one of their relaxed stores. So that is essentially a coffee counter as opposed to a cafe because Luckin believes that more and more a young Chinese like to have their coffee, but they want to have it on the go or they want it delivered. So, uh, of course, Luckin says that they could do that, too, within uh, less than 30 minutes. So uh, the investment is in this type of store as opposed to uh, one a cafe where, where Chinese people relax. Now, um, the other way in which the company thinks that it has an edge is that this a lot, the founders are all from a car hailing app company, so they have a technology background. So the emphasis is on the technology. And I don't know if you could see behind me, but there is no cashier in any of their stores. And that's because the way that you pay is not with cash, but through mobile payments. They say young people here, are increasingly using mobile payments. All you have to do is take your mobile phone, uh, scan the QR code that's behind me, and then you could place all of your orders on the app and have everything uh, brought to you. Now, what's interesting also is uh, their financial um, incentives because they are offering a lot of subsidies to try to get people to get to come into their stores. In fact, they have so many coupons that one of our colleagues in the Beijing bureau yesterday downloaded the app got nine coupons we used one this morning and so a latte that she would have paid for at starbucks that would cost her about five dollars cost her 60 cents in luckin so that is another incentive for a lot of consumers to especially in this down economy to come to luckin instead of starbucks Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.